You're listening to Kenny Soto's Digital Marketing Podcast, your number one resource for career and professional development, personal branding tips and tricks, and content strategy for digital marketers and business owners. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please support this podcast by sharing it amongst your friends, coworkers, clients, and your network. Thank you. What's up, guys and girls? Welcome to another episode of Kenny Soto's Digital Marketing Podcast. Before we introduce today's guest, I just want to start off this episode like I start every other episode with thanking you, the listener, for taking the time out today to learn more about digital marketing and the world of marketing in general. Today, our guest is Erica Maurer. Erica is an entrepreneur, owner, creator, event planner, speaker, and licensed therapist, which is awesome. She is a partner at EMRG Media, a leading events, marketing, production, and creative agency. Erica is also a partner and producer of the Event Planner Expo, New York City's largest events and hospitality industry trade show. Erica and her team fully adapted their business when the pandemic hit last year to service the corporate, social, and nonprofit sectors with custom virtual event experiences. Welcome, Erica. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me, Kenny. Awesome. So I'm going to start off this podcast, just like I start all the other ones, with asking a very straightforward question. How did you get into marketing? Great question. So I actually went to grad school at Columbia, and that's how I became a licensed therapist. I went for my master's. And partially through that process, I realized it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. And so I asked my parents, who obviously were supporting me to help me through the process, could I leave? And they said, no. So with that being said, they said, if you want to learn how to do some other things that you think you're passionate about, then go do it. But you have to graduate. You have to graduate with honors and you need to do your thing. I was like, okay. So I applied to a dual program at the school, which was for business. So I wanted to learn the business side. My grandparents were both, you know, entrepreneurs. And then I literally started to dive into the events and marketing side of business, because that's was something I thought was, I was passionate about, but I didn't really have a lot of like hands-on experience. So I said to myself, well, I'm learning this to my left, right? which I don't think I want to do, but at least I know that I have it. And then I want to learn to my right all the things that I think I want to know and do, but I have no knowledge about it. It just seems like an area of interest. So that's how it all started. Now, you mentioned your grandparents, and I want to segue really quickly into just asking a quick follow-up. What did you observe about your grandparents being entrepreneurs, and, and how did that affect you? Well, both grandparents, like one was an entrepreneur. He actually owned at the time, and I'm dating myself. This is like a long time ago, right? Um, When I was like a little kid, he owned restaurants and bars. And so growing up, my mom and her sisters used to be like the hostesses at the restaurants and stuff. And they all said, don't do it. Don't do it. Like you don't want to be in that business. It's nonstop. But of course, of course, whenever anyone tells you, don't do it, you're going to go that route. So he... Yeah. So he was successful. He had a restaurant lounge and then he also had a candy business. So he actually, um, you know, like what Staples is today. Yeah. 
he basically came up with like the Staples concept before Staples came up, but he then received, he got cancer. And so he never was able to take it to market, but that was basically like, he went from, he, he built businesses. And so that was kind of his idea. So that was, it was called Fogel. So it was similar to what Staples is, but it was called Fogel at the time. And um, I saw him just kind of work with people, build teams, be successful and be a leader. And so that was something I was drawn to. And then my other grandfather um, talking about like stories, he actually went into the war, he was drafted and he came out of the war. And at the time to become a lawyer, you didn't have to go to law school. You had to take a test. And if you passed the test, you became a lawyer. Crazy, right? So that's what it was back then. So he took the test. He was smart. He passed it. And he opened up his own law firm. And so I saw that he was an entrepreneur. And I saw that he came from really not having anything and built this whole career and this family and provided for everyone and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I saw that that was possible. And I obviously admired, you know, both of them. And I thought that that was kind of the direction I wanted to go. So right after finishing college, what was your first job? So I went right from college into grad school. And Mm -hmm. um, so I went straight in. I, you know, I always worked during college, like, you know, side part-time stuff to help for, you know, bringing money and so forth. But, um, I always was like, I would waitress and work. And I was also worked in a call center for at Tufts. I was, I went to Tufts undergrad. And so I did a lot of the donor relations, like literally calling people those, those calls that you don't answer. Like that was me, (laughs) you know, would you like to donate? And that also incorporated marketing because you had to market to the donors. So that was kind of where I started to see like, oh, that was interesting doing marketing and so forth. And then, as I mentioned, I went right to grad school. And then at grad school, I worked multiple jobs throughout that process. So what I did was I had an internship at what's called United United Jewish Federation. So it was a nonprofit. And so I worked at that agency. And my friends who, you know, were older than me, from my high school that came to New York, because now I'm in New York, right? They all were like entrepreneurial. So they all did events. And at the time, events were like, you would bring people out to a venue. That was considered events, right? And they actually needed some extra help and they needed help with bringing people and marketing and all that kind of stuff. And so they were like, oh, you know a lot of people, why don't you help me? And so I started to do that. So I was doing all of those things kind of at one time. And when did you decide to... I guess, be an entrepreneur and start doing your own event marketing business? I believe that I started to be a quasi-entrepreneur in college because I worked um, doing some events and kind of helping bringing people in Boston. And that's like, I think where the interest became like an actual area of something that I could do where I was making money for it. And then when I went to grad school, I was working part-time at the company, which I'm actually a partner for now. So I actually came in, I worked a couple hours, you know, did marketing calls, outreach, tried to like bring in business and so forth um, with guidance of the, the people that were running the company. And then a few years in, so then I graduated and I was going to either go, go to UJA full time or continue with this job. And my parents were like, why would you continue with this job? You didn't go to school for it, right? Like doesn't make any sense. But of course, that's what I did. 
And I started to work there. And then ultimately the partners kind of decided that they wanted to go two different ways. And so they split and I continued to work. And then ultimately after some years, I was offered a partnership. Got it. Now we have. So when they say that you can't work your way up, you can. You can. You definitely can. And now we have a good layout of, of your work history. So let's get down into the weeds of event marketing. And to tease out those lessons, I want to start off with the things you don't do when you're marketing events, both virtual and physical events. How would you describe like the big mistakes that either you've experienced, you've seen other people in your industry experience, and and what would you say, like what's the main reason why these are so so big mistakes, if you will? So big mistakes are thinking that you can leave anything not done. You 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 have to check all the boxes. So you can't assume that someone else is going to take the responsibility of doing X, Y, and Z when you're doing an event or when you're marketing a product or service. You have to build out a game plan like no one else is helping you. Because when you build out a macro plan, you're going to be successful. When you do just one little niche piece and you rely on other people or or other buckets to come together, that's where you're going to have problems. So what I always say is if you want to be an entrepreneur, which is not easy, and you want to run your own ship, then you need to do every single thing that you're going to tell anybody that works for you that they, that they have to do. So meaning if you need to market an event and you want to promote it and bring people and you have to distribute, let's say postcard mailers, to dorm in buildings or do a direct mailer and you want someone else to do it, you better be able to tell them that you did it. And oftentimes entrepreneurs only look at the big picture. Like, you know, like they say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because that's glamorous or I want to own this business because that would be amazing and maybe I'll make a lot of money. Guess what? If you don't know all the steps of your business, you can't be successful because then people aren't going to want to do the tasks that are hard and tedious. But when you can relate it to somebody and say, hey, Kenny, I know that, you know, we have to bring out, I'm just using an example of marketing. We have to do this mailer, 10,000 piece mailer to go out for this big corporate brand event. Um, And we have to sit and we have to stuff it. It's going to take hours and no one wants to do it. If you're willing to do it and, or you've done it with them before, your team is going to understand. So those are pieces that are really important um, that are often overlooked. And would you say that by doing the task at least once, you're more or even better equipped to delegate that task and give the right details? Yes, but I wouldn't even say you have to do it once. You have to you have to be able to say that you did it, like legitimately did it so that when someone has a feedback, you know, you can't say, well, I don't know. I didn't try it. So, so that's something that's hard because a lot of the pieces like you know, digressing, for example, I owned venues before I owned restaurants and lounges. And before I did that, I had no understanding of like when the toilet broke, I was getting the phone call, right? You don't think about that. But I realized quick and fast, right, that there's a lot of pieces that go into owning a, you know, owning a venue, right? Operating a venue, they're way more vast than what we think from a short perspective. So when you're going and taking on a new task, I always say this, go to the people who you admire, see if you can intern for them, see if there's something that 
you can offer to them that's an asset that'll allow you to understand if that's the direction you want to go so you're not wasting your time. B, recognize that if it was easy, everyone would do it. So there's going to be things that you don't want to do and that's natural. But if you can man if you can, you know, if you can successfully achieve that goal and do that task, then you're that much stronger. Because everything that you learn, whether you do it ongoing or not, is going to help you as a, as a, a building block. So those are things that are, um, are super important when you're trying to be like a marketer, an entrepreneur, a business owner, or, you know, starting a new career. All of that stuff is going to be the difference between someone going with you because you're willing to do it and someone picking someone else. Are there any other uh, notable mistakes that can occur if you're trying to promote an event? Notable mistakes would just be, you just want to be clear with whatever the marketing assets say. You want to make sure that you're representing what the product is, who you're trying to attract, the age demographic that you have, for example, the full mailing address of, of where you're doing this event at. I know those sound like very basic, but you'd be so surprised with how many times invites go out where they didn't put the full address or they didn't say address code or they didn't say, you know, must bring an ID even if people are 30 years old, you know. So there's little things like that that are very, if you want to say rudimentary, but they're not because those things can really cause the problem. And would you say that a quick solution to making sure those check marks are actually done would be just having like a templated list of like, here are the things that need to be mentioned in the copy of an email or a letter that if they're not notable and you can't see them, don't send anything out. Would you say that's correct? Yes. So you want to make sure that, you know, everything has like your when, where, why kind of statements. So like, when is it? Where is it? Why is that happening? So that you can explain what people can expect if you have partners or, um, you know, or sponsors that are supposed to be noted on it. You know, what level are they supposed to be noted on and making sure that they get the deliverables and just being super clear. Um, unless you're hired for a brand that says, hey, we just want people to come and this is the demographic and we're going to surprise them. Obviously, you get those too, but that's far and few between. And would you say that there are distinct challenges for marketing virtual events as opposed to physical events? Sure. So virtual and in-person are completely different, like completely different. So part of our situation was, you know, we were a leading events production marketing agency in New York. And with the pandemic, you know, Governor Cuomo said, hey, guys, like if you're not essential, you do not need to be open. And so we were shut down pretty much overnight. All of the venues that we represented, like over 50 of them closed within a day or two. All of the companies that we marketed were pausing because no one knew what was happening in the world. And when you're doing in-person events, you're, you're hands on. I can go and I can say, hey, Kenny, you want a cocktail? Hey, Kenny, you want food. Hey, Kenny, what can I do for you? When you're in a virtual world, it's completely different. And the reason why it's different is people don't understand technology as they do the way that you interact in a, in a one-on-one situation when you're in person. So there's challenges because you have to think about it from the user perspective, whereas normally you don't have to. You just think, I create a great product. I create this great service. I'm going to have great music, food, ambiance, all these kinds of things. And I'm going to bring them to a cool spot. I'm good. When you're doing virtual, you have to think about who's your market. Who are the users? Are they older? Are they younger? Are they tech savvy? Are they not? Are they like our grandparents' age? 
Like, who are we talking to? Because based on that, we have to determine what platform is, is something that would be easy for them to understand. So, um, you know, there's a lot of virtual platforms that came out to market during the pandemic, and they're very complicated. And they're not easy to use. And there's things that people have never experienced before. So as much as that might look cool to a use, like to like the person who's contracting it, right? Like if I'm savvy on it or if you're savvy on it, doesn't mean that every single person attending is going to understand that. And so what happens is you're running into challenges as how do you get someone to log in? Is their internet strong enough? You know, do they understand how to navigate all these different dimensions that exist in a virtual world? You know, in in-person, you go into a room and you see people. And then, oh, I want to go upstairs. You go up the elevator and you're in another room, right? You see other people and then you know how to get back. The process is more straightforward in a physical setting. Exactly. So when you're doing virtual, um, depending on how complex this technology is that you're using, some people might not even make it in the door. And that's something that people have to really think about. So the reason I'm saying that is when we took our business virtual, like April of 2020, you know, right when the pandemic had, had happened, we initially said to the, the clients, said, oh, I want this very intricate uh, tech. I want this. I want that. So we had to go educate ourselves and we had to go back and explain it to the people. There was a huge learning curve. There was a huge disconnect. We were spending a lot of time trying to get people onto the systems. They're missing parts of the content, right? Part of the experience. And what we quickly realized was, which is ironic, was Zoom was our best friend because everyone was on Zoom and everyone was on Zoom for work. So if you could create something that was simple, Zoom is simple, you click a button, you go in, you're here, blah, blah. And then you could beautify it, you know, pick it up a notch. Then you're creating an experience that is accessible. And right, the pandemic made everything not accessible, right? Everything was basically um, separated. So when you made everyone accessible, it kind of gave everyone motivation and inspiration. So what our team did was, you know, we actually created what we call custom dashboards. And that's like a, it's like a technical way of basically coming into Zoom and saying, oh, I want a breakout room or, oh, I want to go into this thing or that. But you knew you had a hub and it was really, really simplistic. I mean, it's hard to make the dashboard, but once you have it, it's, it's, it's user-friendly. And so that's something that you don't normally have to think about when you're doing an in-person event. Now, you mentioned um, beautifying a Zoom event. Is the dashboard the only aspect of beautify, beautifying uh, a Zoom event, or are there other elements that you use to make it more special? You can um, use it. You could use a background, so you can create like custom branded Zoom backgrounds. Now that only works depending on what computer you have. Okay. So if you have, you know, three or four year old computer, it's going to say it's not green screen compatible, or I can't upload the image. Some people are going to have problems. So if you run into that, I always say, just you know troubleshoot it with that person. So if, so for example, like we have an event on Friday, we're doing, um, it's, it's called EYJ. It's a change maker event. It's they're in, in Detroit. Um, and we're doing this virtual event for them. And so we were onboarding a lot of the speakers. There's different panels. Some of them are football players, blah, blah, blah. So some of the backgrounds were working and some weren't. And that's because the computer technology is different depending on what level computer you have. And some computers aren't even that old and they're just not able to use that. So where I'm saying with that is, if you can't utilize that aspect, then all you're going to do is you're going to say, well, how do I make their background look pretty? And you make it so you, you can work with each person so that the Zoom events 
can look special or branded or customized. Um, so you have this dashboard, right? Which you said in the dashboard, you could have like a virtual photo booth. So if I wanted to have you take a picture, you can click on the button, go take a picture while you're still attending the event. Um, you can have like an agenda. So you could see like what's the show, what's happening, what's coming up, what can I expect? You can have um, PDFs, downloadable information. So there's a lot of things that you can do to make it special. Um, but ultimately when you're doing a virtual event, which is really important, that's not as important in person is having an event host. And what an event host is, is basically an MC. But in person, you don't really need an MC. The party just flows. Whereas virtual, you really need someone that says, hi, welcome to blank event. You know, this is what's going to happen. And really they need to be very animated. And that's something energy wise, that's very different than an in-person event. Besides being animated, are there any other key qualities that are necessary for a host to be successful when hosting an event? They have to be very detail-oriented. They need to be able to ad-lib because as you know, we're doing a virtual event, things can happen, right? Someone could lose their, their internet capability. Someone could show up late. Someone, you know, there's a lot of things that happen that don't necessarily happen in the real world. So you have to have someone who is adaptable. So adaptable, outgoing, you know, very personable, think on the fly, organized, and able to keep things on a timeline. So, the, so those are really important pieces. And you've mentioned several aspects of hosting a, a virtual event, like PDFs, the dashboard, the photo booth. And I'm a big fan of tools. Are there any specific tools or software that you use in like a complementary way to help with the success of an event? What we normally do is when we're sending out an invite with Zoom, we'll make sure that the assets look really pretty. So you okay. want them to be colorful. You want them to be clear. You want them to be concise because people think of Zoom for the most part as work. So you want to make sure as you're delivering the assets, if they see a Zoom link, it looks nothing like work. It looks like fun. They understand what to expect. So you're kind of painting that picture of expectation and you're retraining their mind as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm going to a meeting you're seeing stuff that's exciting that looks more like event related. When you're promoting an event outside of email, what social mm -hmm. media channels are you using and how are you using those social media channels? So depending on what kind of event you're obviously going after, there's different ways. Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn has an event option now. You can go, you click on, it says like hosting an event and you can put up assets and you can invite people from LinkedIn. So that's going to get one demographic, you know, B2B. Then you can also use your Instagram and put it on your story and put it on your page. That's going to get your core following, right? Like people that are personally know you and so forth. You can go and do the same thing on your business page. That's going to attract business owners if you have a you know a business. And then on top of that, another good asset that we like to use is Clubhouse because you're on stages. So going into rooms and saying, oh, you know, like for example, I mentioned EYEJ. That's an event we have on Friday. I run a few rooms in Clubhouse. So what I'll do is I'll invite the client to come in as long as the topic makes sense, right? And say, hey, would you like to share about this event? Or I have this event coming up, you know, just want to let you guys know that this is what's happening and I'll invite you for free. Or here's an exclusive invitation. You can DM me or email the team to get a direct invitation. So you're now you're going out to one-to-many, right? So as opposed to you and I right now, where we're going one-to-one, -one, which is what's good for like phone calls and texting, you can do marketing like that. But one-to-many is like a, 
is like a LinkedIn, is like a, is a Instagram and the clubhouse. Specifically. And then also, sorry, direct mailers. Direct, direct, direct mailers. mailers are also. Yeah. Now, with specifically with clubhouse, considering it's not even a year old, how are you measuring the effectiveness of that tactic? So you'll do a call to action. Okay. So for example, if I went on stage and I was like, I have using this example. So we, we produce the women insider network. It's a women's event. We have like really high level speakers come on They're women and men, and it could be a woman or man to attend and they're free events. Um, and it's really just to give access to everyone. So when I go into the room, I might say, if you're interested in attending the women insider network, DM me women. And I'll know that that's the call to action, right? Because it's trackable. Or if I go on stage and I'm mentioning the EYJ event, when I was speaking on a stage in Clubhouse, after I would be done, people would message me and say, oh, I heard you speaking about this. I'm actually looking for someone. And so there's a couple of different ways of tracking, right? There's how many accounts do you lock in? So I know that since I went on Clubhouse, I came on around the end of December, um, I was invited a while before that. I was like, I'm not interested. There's just another app. I don't need to do one more thing. Um, and I waited. And when I went on, um, I started to talk about events and virtual and how we transitioned. And I also have a coaching program for entrepreneurs. And I was able to lock in both. So between those two, I was able to say, I track six figures of sales, which was not something that I went on and expected. I actually just thought it was going to to be like a way to meet people. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of it in the fact that it was going to literally quickly translate into dollars. Now, I like to end these interviews with a question that is hypothetical because we don't have a time machine. <laughs> but if you had the ability to go back in time 10 years from today, knowing everything you know now, mm-hmm. how would you progress in your career faster? So I would say if I was to go back 10 years, I would say it's okay to have a coach and a mentor because oftentimes you think of like getting a coach or asking for help as weakness. It's not. So I would say, go get one, find somebody that emulates where you want to go and learn from them. Cause that's going to fast track you. That's something that I did not realize back then. So when I say that I got to where I'm at, I did that from learning and growing and putting in the work. But I didn't have someone who was like exactly where I wanted to go. I kind of took pieces from different people. So what I would say is getting a coach is really important and trusting the process. So you're not going to always understand. It's like when you take a step, right? You don't know exactly where you're going necessarily all the time, but you know you're going forward. So I would always just say to lean in and instead of falling back. So when you fall, right, when you fail, you fall backwards and you stop your momentum. But if you think about it as leaning forward will continue on your path, that's the stuff that I would say is that continue to learn, continue to grow. You can never know enough because the world's evolving and you need to evolve with it. So those would be the pieces that I would highlight. I'm glad that you mentioned, don't be afraid to get a coach. You're actually the first guest on this podcast who's mentioned that. So I really appreciate it. If anyone wanted to find you online, where can they connect? Um, they can go to Instagram. It's Erica Mauer 7, E-R-I-C-A-M-A-U-R-E-R 7. That's on Instagram. Or they can send an email to events at emrgmedia.com. 
um, that'll also go to me. And then we do have a free download. It's a marketing tool. So if you go to bookevents.com, you fill out a few questions, it'll give you um, some strategies on how to be a good, good marketer um, in virtual events. What an amazing domain. All right, everyone. So you just listened to another episode of Kenny Soto's Digital Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Erica, for this amazing interview. Thank you to you, the listener, for being here and learning alongside of us. And as always, I hope you have a great week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please share it, subscribe, and if you have any questions or comments, connect with me at www.kennysoto.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.